You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 318 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name is Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? What's been going on in your week? What's been going in my week? I've been, oh, I've, I'm going to pick up a cello on Of course you week. are. A cello. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I start cello lessons this weekend. I found a, um, a cello teacher. So who knows, Gina? Yo-Yo Ma or like who's your, ch- ch- who's your yeah. cello teacher? Yo-Yo Ma wasn't available. You, but you tried, <laughs> didn't you? You sent out an email. <laughs> and he doesn't live anywhere yeah. near me or yeah, even in right. this country. There's Zoom, you know. It is. But I think that with cello, maybe it's useful to have a teacher that is a little bit nearby, perhaps even in the same room. So while Yo-Yo Ma was not available, I have found um, a former member of the Sid- former cellist with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, of course. Um, the SSO, so yeah. that's going to be pretty exciting. So I'm going to – I'll report back, you know. I'm just – Hoping that I'll be able to play some notes soon. Fantastic. Hold that thought. For new listeners, uh, you <laughs> haven't stumbled upon, so you want to be a cello Cellist. player. This is a photography podcast. We have a fantastic guest. I would loved speaking with uh, Angela Percival, who's a um, an adventure and outdoor uh photographer fantastic work it was like such a joy to interview her so um we will get on to that shortly guys but this is uh because Gina you know, did ask where, me how I was what this was is new, where Val and I just connect at the start of the show and catch up with each other and just uh, get everyone grounded as well before we uh, get into the uh, nitty-gritty of the episode so Valerie's going to um you're not only going to be like a, a like a painter, but now it's a, a cello player. And I, I have a, a great love for um, musicians and orchestras. And actually, I was um, telling you before that it's like when I was in high school, I actually made a, a sculpture of an entire symphony orchestra. I've worked for the cool. Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. It was probably one of the coolest things I've ever done is being on stage while they were playing. It's like there's nothing you, beats. You were photographing them. I was photographing them and being on stage and you you not only hear the music, you feel it because you're so close to it. And it's like if you get a chance, if you can, if there's any opportunity, it's great to watch it but to see it in, in you know, when it's being played live, 
It's something else. It, 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 I can't describe it. So I'm excited because now I photo- know a cello player, Valerie. <laughs> so, you know, get really good so that like you can just entertain me now. Okay. I actually think that photographing musical instruments is something that can be really, really beautiful because there are yes. so many different angles, macro, you know, the silhouettes. Yep the leading lines, just the shapes and where you choose to put them compositionally in a shot can really make or break a shot. Um, so, yeah, You're right. People... Music, they're just absolutely beautiful. Cellos mm. are beautiful instruments, violins, guitars, um, all of them are beautiful. And it's like what I love is whenever I'm photographing any musician is um, always asking them um, to play for me. And I've had mm. some w- beautiful one-on-one experiences. Uh, it's just lovely. And it's like that intimate, like that intimate, a concert of one. And mm. it's that, that's the way that it's like, you know, uh, let me get to know you. It's like what while you're um and and just to make the uh, the musician feel comfortable before they they're being photographed is I'll often just go just play. So if this is a guitarist, just play a few chords and mm. that gets them relaxed and grounded as well. It's uh mm. it's lovely. I'm excited for you, Val. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know. And it you know it may be a fly by night thing. You never know. But I think it's important to explore and indulge yes. in your creative curiosity whatever that might be yeah and um and because you never know where it might lead exactly in exactly. fact in fact my when I first um a long time ago when I learned saxophone my first ever darkroom experience photographic darkroom experience where I did my own film and I you know developed it and printed it and all of that in a darkroom they were all shots of the saxophone right Another and, sexy instrument, the saxophone. Yes, and really interesting because of the contrast of, you know, the the light and dark and, yeah, it's really um, a great experience. And, and because the saxophone, you can just shoot it in a traditional way or you can get all macro because there's yeah. all this detail. The keys, in the, in the the keys the, are beautiful sax, yeah. and, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what have you been up to, Gina? So um, I just finished recording this uh, interview that we're about to run, but I've also been... Um, working with the Goldie so I got a couple of uh, tutorials out so um, like sharing my workflow process uh, working from Lightroom to Photoshop and back to Lightroom and also um, uh, a deep dive into working with Camera Raw in Photoshop which I think is a uh, fantastic uh, filter to use for editing photos and we've also been workshopping with the the Gold community members um, uh, tips on uh, we had one of the members that just did a fantastic fitness shoot which was uh, just amazing uh, and those shots came up well so w- what I love about uh, working with the Goldies is like when they're preparing for a shoot they'll they'll post the question and say okay this client has approached me and these are the things that they they want uh, from the shoot and then we can all uh, as a group uh, you know workshop ideas for them and everyone can um, chip in and give their experiences and then I'll give a, like a lighting guide to that and it's either in depth as part of the AMA or it's one on one when we're going back and forth like I've got one of the uh, some of the members now that are gearing up for photo shoots and uh, they're actually uh, you know perfecting their lighting before the shoot so it's all that comes right. down to the uh, 
uh, preparation and also um, uh, congratulations to uh, we've got two current Goldies and one ex Goldie who uh, won um, w- were finalists in the uh, the Rise uh, is it the Rise Photography uh, uh, what is it the Rise International Photography Awards so um, Kerry Setch and uh, Janine Meyer who are both current members uh, who got bronze and, and um, awards there and also um, yeah several other ex-members who um who won there too which is uh fantastic uh val to see people getting out there and uh and doing uh so well and if you are interested in finding out a little bit more about the gold gold community have a listen to this this podcast is brought to you by the gold community I'm passionate about helping the members of the Gold community. They're wonderful photographers and I love seeing them progress in leaps and bounds. Here's what Vanessa MacGyver had to say. I needed education, but when I actually went into the Gold community and had a look on your website, everything that's there, it's in bite-sized chunk and it's titled so that I can understand because I know what I need to learn. I don't need a whole bunch that I already know to be thrown at me first because I know the basics, but to understand a little bit more and see some behind-the-scenes setup shoots, which a lot of people don't share, and whereas you do, learn, 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 which is exactly what I needed, so it spoke to me at the time. And I've been absolutely blown away. <laughs> I would have thought that I'd ever be able to use guide numbers to understand the math. I never understood flash from start to finish. My next uh, trial is to learn how to shoot tethered. Listen, if if you're looking to increase your skills, because not everyone knows everything, you don't know how much effect you have on people, Gina. You're you're amazing. And your warmth comes across as well. And that was also encouraging me to to join. It's a supportive educational community. I could have just said all that three words, couldn't I? (laughs) And uh, I've been really grateful for that. Phenomenal. I wouldn't have done that two years ago. I'm sitting there going, if you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, just go to ginamilitia.com and click on Join the Community. All right, let's move on to this week's topic, which is how to shoot authentic and meaningful photography with our guest, Angela Percival. Tell us about Angela. Gina? Yeah, this was uh, so, this was like a, for me this doing this interview. You know, I'm hanging to get to, back to travelling again, Val. And mm, so this for me yeah. uh, was like uh, a holiday. I felt like after having chatting to Angela, and she's an outdoor and adventure photographer and um Mm. she her photos are absolutely amazing and she was named one of the top nine female photographers you should know by national geographic magazine so um she's a self-taught uh and uh she works for a company called um after x and i've probably butchered that uh she'll pronounce it better (laughs) in, in the interview um but uh she does the craziest stuff. There are some fantastic stories that she shares uh, in this interview. Um, but uh, she once convinced her crew to sail the coast uh, of Green Greenland, like from Iceland, which is just crazy. And wow. uh, she's bike packed 750 k's through northern India like amazing uh, and all her work takes her to the most epic and remote, remote location so imagine um, 
working in like being dropped with a crew of you know a group of people dropped from a helicopter into a like a you know onto a mountain range in minus 40 degree temperatures and mm. uh you know then being told yeah see ya we'll see you in 10 days right and then she talks about how like when they're doing the shoot everything froze even like their <gasps> alcohol like even the oh, alcohol wow. and her face her face was sticking to the to the camera to the back of the camera that's how cold it was it's like crazy and then she was talking about yeah tomorrow i'm going on a shoot and it's like i've just got to be uh careful of the uh grizzly bears because i'm going to be by myself and she was talking about like you know having to carry like you know uh bear off (laughs) like spray that keeps the bears (laughs) away but it's like scary and like you know how how you avoid getting getting eaten by uh a bear and um you know so many great takeaways uh from this shoot you know and really we we dive into like why is it that her amazing uh images uh, are so authentic and beautiful and it's like you see there is this real genre of uh adventure travel on instagram but it's really um staged and fake and inauthentic it's like you know these people will go all right we'll trek to this mountain and i'll just hang off the edge and you take a photo over my back or i'll be holding someone's hand leading there through and you just sort of they're not memorable photos you look at them you go yeah 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 but now it's like i don't even stop i just go it's been done before but like Mm. angela's work you are there with her you are experiencing these extreme conditions and these beautiful remote locations and she breaks down her thought process behind getting these amazing shots and I know that like many of us are not ever going to have an opportunity to take a chopper to these remote locations but most of what she says applies to our day-to-day shooting and thought process you know because what's important is if you can take those photos that when people look at them they feel something they care about the photo they care about the people in the photo then you know that's everything for a photographer so so, um, and I think, you know, that's what Angela's work does. So uh, shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Angela Percival, welcome to the show. How are you going? Good, Gina. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good, thanks. And I can say how are you going to you and it's like we can't quite detect but there is a, a bit of an Aussie accent in there. But, but um, where are, in the world are you right now? So right now I'm sitting in Squamish in British Columbia, which sits halfway between Vancouver and Whistler. Right. So you're on the West Coast there and it's absolutely stunning. But but originally you're an Aussie girl, right? I am. Originally I'm from Sydney. I grew up in Canberra and my parents still live there and my sisters still live there. So I come back quite often. Fantastic. Um, now you... T- tell us about the uh, the kind of work that you do. Just paint a picture. Like, you know, I know that every day is different and I know that it's a different time in, um, in the world right now. So we're recording this. If in case anyone's listening in the future, it's, uh, you know, October 2020. But uh, before lockdowns and, and pandemics and things like that, what would a, a typical day in the life uh, for you be a, 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 as a photographer? So first of all, it'd be fun, 
I, um, I'm an outdoor, mostly mountain photographer. I work for a company called Arcteryx Equipment based in Vancouver. And um, I'm in-house, so I'm full-time employed as a photographer in there. Um, and I shoot everything from trekking to trail running to ice climbing to skiing to backpacking. I shoot all of our brand imagery, which is all mountains. So a typical day for me could be anything from being out with a group of athletes in the mountains to hiking into the mount, like into the Alpine to shoot very moody weather. Our brand is very like um, rain and clouds and kind of weather that you need a Gore-Tex jacket for. So yeah. any sunny day I'm inside. Right. So you want the overcast conditions, which I love too for when I'm shooting, but you know, Angela, my idea of a tough day is if it rains and I get frizzy hair. So that's, I'm like, oh my God, it was so bad. It rained, my hair got frizzy, the model's hair got frizzy. And, but you know, we're at the ground level. Like, tell us, is there a standout shoot that you did that was just so extreme that when you've come out the end of it, you go, oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. Or you just so in the moment that obviously, you would go into a zone when you're shooting, but is there something that, that, that is there a particular shoot that stands out that, that like, you know, it was extreme to get there. The conditions were extreme when you were shooting and you just come back and you go that photo. Oh my God. I'm so happy I got it, but wow. Yes. Yeah. I definitely have a couple of those. Um, so we call that like there's, there's kind of a couple of types of fun, and type two fun is when you have a good time and you come back and say you had a good time. Type three fun is where you're out there and you're like, this is not fun. But then when you come back, then you think it's fun. <laughs> and so in that category, type three, um, I have one just off the top of my head that comes to mind. We were doing a, it was a bunch of women actually, and we were shooting in Northern British Columbia. So we'd driven 20 hours from Vancouver and then we actually had to fly in an hour um, into the mountains and we were going to go ski this certain mountain with a big couloir and when we were in the heli on the way out there I said to the pilot what temperature is it outside and he said oh it's minus 25 and all of us were just we all looked at each other and we're like are we sure we want to get and we were supposed to get dropped out there for I think it was like 10 days and he literally dropped us off onto this ridge and it was so windy and he was like okay i'll see you in 10 days and then it was howling wind and it was so cold it dropped to minus 40 and we set up our tents and we basically slept in that for five days i think we were up there and in the end yet he called us he's like i've got to come and get you guys you will not survive this next storm and everything froze. I cannot even tell you, Gina, how cold it was. Like being Australian, I actually oh, really like the warmth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine how, like, does it, did you shoot in the conditions? Were you able to oh, take yeah. any photos? Yeah, you can't, for me, I kind of go into a bit of a zone. It's also yeah. my job, so I have to yeah. come back with something. But I just started documenting what, we, what it was. Like the conditions were so extreme. It right. was snowing. It was windy, so then the wind chill added on to that. Like everything was freezing. Yeah. All these things we bought that I never thought would freeze froze. So like the Baileys even froze. What? Our toothpaste froze. My deodorant froze. Like we couldn't. What? It got to the point where you stopped drinking water because you didn't want it like at night because you didn't, didn't want to get pee. out of your tent. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't want to pee. 
the camera batteries froze. Like you'd have, you'd basically take like a couple of shots and you'd have to put it back in. You know, it was, it was a really great survival experience, but I would have to say that's my most extreme moment. One of them. <laughs> that's, and so here's the deal. I mean, I haven't been in extreme cold, but I've been in extreme heat, right? Where I'm like, you know, in a, in an, in an engine room and it's like, you know, overwhelming. It's like doing a Bikram class, you know, times a hundred or things like that. But, you know, when you look at the photos, it's like, well, you can't tell how hot it was. You can't tell that we were all dripping with sweat. And the same goes for the, some of these extreme conditions that you've been in. What how do you portray that in a photo? How do you, how do you show that? It's like, yeah, you can see that it's windy. Yeah, you can see obviously there's snow and it's cold and it's dangerous. But how do you how do you show that in a photo so that people can feel what it felt like to be there? So for me, um, in like a regular shoot, I'd be really focused on the action and the atmosphere of the landscape and yep. um, kind of like a sense of place. And then in this situation, it suddenly really became about like we, we kind of went into survival mode. So it was and to some like things we kind of found funny. We're like as if the wine's freezing, as if the Bailey's freezing. So I started going more like lifestyle. I'd shoot like our skis were just completely rhymed up. Yeah. Like, rhymed, so it's like a mix of snow and moisture and wind. Yeah. Um, our tents were buried. Like at night, you'd lay in your tent and the tent would flap in your face. And there were so many icicles inside of the tent that like – some nights we went to sleep with our goggles on. <laughs> so I started shooting that kind of those kind of elements because yeah. they were you, you cannot you can't manufacture that anywhere yes. else. Yes. Um probably one of my most well used shots from that trip was um one of our athletes. Like so you go at my face would actually freeze, my eyes would water and then my face would freeze to the back of the camera. So my eyelashes would freeze to the camera and then I was attached like, oh, to the camera. Yeah, they would like my eyeball would freeze oh, to the screen. Oh my god! <laughs> and so at that point, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of kind of cool." And so then I realized all the other girls. So there was we had two athletes and a writer and then a filmer. And the two other two of the girls, like I ended up shooting their eyelashes, and that was our most used shot because yeah. their eyelashes were just, you know, there was so much moisture in the air and wind that they, and it was so cold that their eyelashes were freezing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of really like I went more into the details because the ski shots, as you say, like it kind of you can tell it's windy. The wind is another thing I focused on because yeah. it was so extreme. But like the actual skiing, we did we did very little actual skiing because it was so hard. But um, I really focused on the details of them, like the atmosphere of what it was like to try and portray that to people once we got out and we were warm and <laughs> hopefully survived the adventure. That's amazing. I can't, cannot imagine what that would be like. You know, it's like it's bad enough if it gets under ten degrees Celsius here. It's like it's too cold to go out. I don't want to go out. So, I imagine that when you're in the wilderness, like I see these images, and it's like you know, if I'm dropped in the middle of nowhere and it's just surrounded by mountains, it's overwhelming. So. For you, when you see an image of the wilderness like this, what is it about that image that stops you in your tracks? And what is it that 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 um, you look for to make an image exciting like that? And and how do you not like get overwhelmed and like just uh, break it down into certain smaller elements? What 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 what's your process there? 
Because it's hard to not just go, I just need to take the, you know, one of those chocolate box photos, which is like, are just everywhere, but they're kind of soulless in the end. It's like, it, it doesn't tell me anything. It's just very beautiful, but, you know, kind of a bit bland. H- how do you put that life into those shots? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I think that for me, I actually feel very, there's kind of two parts. There's one being out there and then there's one shooting it. Mm. So being out there, I feel very comfortable, if if not safe, ex- unless I'm in grizzly territory. Just for the record, I am terrified of grizzly bears. Right. Um, so you so should be. <laughs> I go to, I carry bear bangers, I carry bear spray, I carry everything in that terrain because I'm actually going on a shoot tomorrow and I'll be by myself in grizzly country and I've, I've already been mentally preparing for that. Um, wait, but... wait, let's just back up a bit. That's crazy. <laughs> so what, like... You're in Grizzly, so there's a chance that one could visit you. So how do you protect yourself? Uh, that's a g- <laughs> so there. I feel like it's um, there's not really any way to protect myself if if it comes at me. I you know like be I have to be big and you know run up a tree. Um, but there's been quite a few Grizzly attacks this year. Um, a couple here locally in Canada, like just like north of where I'm going. And um, I think I've learned this summer to be really like whether we're biking or we're running or we're hiking just to be really loud and like give them a lot of warning. So they're scared Um, of you, they'll run away? They're scared or curious. Like black bears, I have no issue. Like we get black bears in the backyard. Um, (laughs) I'm not worried about those at all. And I'll gladly go into the wilderness and see black bears and feel fine. Um, but the grizzly with a with some cubs or a cub, that's where I start to get a little bit nervous. So I just mm. make lots of noise before going out. I carry bear spray. I have it on my hip ready What's to deploy. What's bear spray? What does that do? Uh, it's like pepper spray. Right. And so, but they have to be really close. So it's kind of terrifying even to think oh about having God. to use it because they have to be within spray distance. It's like spraying, be like, like putting hairspray out in front of you. And then, but it has to be really close. So I hope I never have to use bear yeah, spray. Yeah, me too. Um, the other ones I carry is bear bangers. And so they're kind of like, um, they just fire a sh- like a, a loud bang. Right. And that will kind of frighten them and scare them away. But I think just being really like, I, you know, like, a, oh, I'm clapping. You can't see me clap. I'm like, you know, I yell and yeah. bear, I'm coming here. And, and that's kind of my level of protection. I don't, I don't really have anything else. And, you know, being, just being really aware of where I am. Right. That's kind of how, that's my approach, for example, for tomorrow. You know, like I have, I've told where people where I'm going. I have my inReach, which is like a device that is an emergency locator. Um, I have a plan of where I'm going. I know kind of certain places. I mean, I'm probably, I think being Australian, I'm probably a little bit more um, sensitive to grizzlies. Yeah. But but it's a very real day-to-day fact for me as a photographer. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people don't deal with it. No, no, not, not, not many. So it's like... The thing about your images is I, 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 I feel like I'm there, I'm in it. It's like I'm not an observer, but you take me into that situation. And that is, I think, to do with the fact that you're there working as hard as the people that you're photographing. It's not, not like you've got a beautiful Winnebago and they knock on the door and they go, okay, Angela, it's your time, you know, whereas everyone else is freezing and you're nice and warm. You're immersed in the experience as well. So you, you, you're shooting from a really personal perspective. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's that's actually one of my favorite things about um, about outdoor photography and what I love to do the most is be part of the experience mm. and share that experience yeah. with people that might never be in those or want to be in those situations. Um, and I feel really fortunate that I get to do that. Uh, you know, it's, it always, it's, it's a bit challenging because I'm, you know, like I work a lot with athletes and they're out there every day and I still, I have a job. And so I have a lot of days at computer where I'm editing or, you know, like planning, like there's so much planning that goes into these outdoor shoots yeah, of yeah. where we're going to go and what we're going to shoot and who's going to be there and how are we going to get there? And so, you know, that it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, to be there and for so many different kinds of sports too. Like I have to work hard at that. I have to train for that. I have to be, you know, like, because there some years I'm like, okay, I just want to see this fast skier. If I can just see him on the trail, like that's a good goal. You know, I don't need to be right there because he's a professional athlete, but so I try, I, I work really hard at that. I'm not naturally born athlete. Right. Um, and I didn't grow up skiing and every almost, yeah. I didn't grow up skiing or ice climbing so if I, I grew up, you know, in the water and on the beach and as most Aussie kids do. Yeah, yeah. So I've had to learn all these things that lay life and become skilled, um, you know, more mountain skilled, like I've in, you know, since I moved to Canada. So, um, but sorry to answer your question, but that showing the feeling of that experience, like if I can be, you know, I want to show it far away so it has a sense, like, context within the mountain landscape. Yes, so that then sense I, of scale, but then you yeah. also, you, you're doing, it's like a the opening of a great movie. You've got to have the wide sweeping shot, the mid shot, and the tight shot. So is that how you're thinking about, like, telling that story? It's like I want to show you everything, but then I want to bring it right in close so that you can also f be connected to that experience. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. I, I think that I look at, um, because I'm so in admiration of these landscapes and these mountain, um, you know, these wild places, I really, and what blows me away, what really interests me about the photography I do and gets me excited about these shoots and these places is I really want it. Like we are so small as humans in this mm. gigantic landscape and whether it's glaciers, you know, like, um, like massive, like in, uh, did a shoot in Greenland and like, we were, we were so tiny compared to all of the ice and the mountains and the icebergs. And then here in Canada, like we have 1200 kilometers of mountains that run North of where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. And we're, you know, when you go into a small spot and like a, you go out into one of those valleys, we're in like one of thousands of valleys. So I really try and bring that into my photography, just showing how small and insignificant we are to nature. Yeah. And then, the other side of it would be getting more intimate with the subject of like how it feels. And, you know, on those nights when you're coming out late at night and you're exhausted, like what does that look like yeah. close up? And just because I really love the grit of it, like to the, I, there's so many versions of outdoor photography these days and so many yeah. outdoor photographers. But for me, I've always strived to shoot real people in real places doing real shit. Oh, yeah, that's all right. Sorry. <laughs> that, but the thing is about um, 
it's it's the authenticity and I want to touch on um, some of the stuff that we see there's like this whole genre of uh, outdoor photography that's been um, kind of that's developed through Instagram and it kind of like to me I look at those those photos and I don't care about anyone in those photos I don't care about the location and I don't care about the person because it's so contrived it's like mm-hmm. big mountain person on the edge um, check it out and it's not it, it, it like to me some of those images are not about um, paying respect to the land and being in awe it's more about hey check out where I am and um, you know it's more of like the, it's the humble brag kind yeah. of photo and it doesn't it, it doesn't make me think oh wow what an experience whereas you're, like you're there and it's it, it, it is you say that 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 grittiness it's it's the authenticity of the of the shoot and you're in the moment there is one um on your um website there so it's angelapercival.com uh, you've got some um a, a video like it's a, a few minutes long i think and it uh it, it, it you've filmed uh the experience of uh taking a, a small group out to a, it looks like incredibly remote and you're in this tiny little hut and it's the day-to-day stuff and uh, you know i watched it i loved it i loved it so much i cared about every single person in that video um the the the, the, the like the the detail of the having the coffee and putting on the layering to, to, to getting ready to go out. It was just so beautiful. And then being outside and then coming back, you know, I felt the relief of like, oh my God, thank God they're back inside. And it's okay. There's a fire there. <laughs> and I was worried about everyone and I hope everyone's warm and all of that. I cared about it, you know, and I thought that was beautiful the way that you just brought it back to this um, human nature, you know, so that's lovely. You're going to do more of those, uh, more filming. Um, thanks for saying that. I really appreciate that. I love, I love the, what it's actually the real, um, the reality of what it's like to be in the backcountry. And I yeah. try and try and bring that out. Um, that film was really fun. It was a really sh- short little film, but it was just an experience with some, yeah, some friends in a mountain hut. Um, I would love to do more more film, and it's definitely on the cards. Um, just photography is keeping me so busy right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, yeah, I have a, a full time job. So in my, I have all these side projects that I, personal projects that I'm trying to tick off one at a time. But that yeah. more film is in on the list for sure, because I think with film. Uh, sorry, if I can add to that with film, like you film brings to life like sounds and smells that you can't get in mm. photo- in photography. And I think, and even characters to some degree. Yep. Um, and I really like that element, like bringing in, bringing that into the storytelling part yep. um, of photography. So I definitely want to do more just for that reason. Fantastic. I'd love to see more. So uh, let's just break down the preparation. Now, I know um, when I'm doing a shoot, uh, for a portrait shoot, there's 80% of the work is done behind the scenes. And then I I dedicate 20% of my time to working with the model. So it's like I've already thought about the lighting. I've thought about the location. I've thought about the vibe that I want to try and create. And then I'm working with the model. So it's actually the actual shoot itself is uh, very 
a, a short duration compared to all the preparation. Now, I know for you, it's probably close to that or maybe uh, a little bit more goes into the planning. But for you, it's it's like... It's life or death, the plan. You know, I'm, I'm worried about, like, where can we put this model so that her hair doesn't, you know, blow in the wrong direction and, and all of this. But you're, you're, like, where you land and, and um, where you are, it's like the middle of nowhere. So just can you walk us through the preparation, how you find the location, how you know um, what place to, to, to put your models and, and how much of, how much are you directing the shoot as you go? So walk us through like a, a typical adventure shoot from start to finish, if you can. De- <laughs> how Definitely. many hours have we got <laughs> as well, an outline? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a, I, I, I love that. I think that you know, I actually have started a blog post called 90-10 because like 90% for me, and, and this is not everybody I understand, but I actually love the production side of it. And I do so much, like even though I'm not um, doing like conceptual shoots, so much of the work for me is prepping beforehand yep. and like 10 or 5% is the actually clicking the shutter, yep. like getting there, finding the people. Um, so, so I'd say like the process, really starts with location. My, yeah. A lot of my inspiration comes firstly choosing a location. Um, I I know I'm in a pretty unique situation being an in-house photographer in an outdoor company, but yeah. usually, you know, it comes with a product and I've worked with them now for 16 years. So it's changed a lot over that time. Um, so I can either start with a product, but in the early days and for many of the adventure shoots, it just starts with me being inspired by, oh, I, I'm really curious about this place and what does this look like and oh what if we did this here and and then usually from there forming a team is pretty important as you said your partners in this are will become your lifeline in many cases and so putting together the right people is really important um in any backcountry or expedition scenario the dynamic of the team can really make or break the shoot or the success of the shoot or the safety and I'll never there's like I won't go into certain places you know like I'll be very specific of who I go with in certain places whether it's and backcountry skiing is an ex, a good example of this um you know having partners that are experienced and have done their avalanche safety um have all the tools they need and I know they've spent time out there because they're if I'm in an avalanche they're the ones going to dig me out and vice versa so that's super important to me. Like team is pretty key. Um, also, I want to have a. I also love having a good time out there. Yeah. So it's really important to put the right people. And if you have to share a tent with somebody for three weeks plus, you want to make sure they're pretty fun. Yeah. Or just as an aside, for for uh, photographers, you know, photographers that are coming up now, you're new to the industry. Often we will hire assistants based on how well we're going to get, like what they're like in, on a long car ride. So if you're trying to break into photography and want to start out assisting a photographer, just be really great to take away on a trip. You know, it's all those little things. It's like it's not enough to just be skilled at what you do. You want to be um, 
the kind of person that is great to have around and you know for me it's like that they have my back and you know for me it's like that someone is thinking of me that oh do you need a coffee or something like that for you it's like life and death but it's still that 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 having those great social skills is uh really important and you can move ahead really quickly just by being someone that's good fun to have around right Absolutely. I think even working and work working with people that are good to work with, whether yeah. you're, whether you're, whether I'm in a remote situation, like I'll hire filmers or assistants just because they're good to work with. And yeah. I, I don't necessarily need the most like the ninja. I just yeah. really want somebody that's, you know, that, you know, when it, when you come to the challenges or you have hard times or you need to move fast or, you know, having a good attitude is so key. I actually think that's a great point because I think that's really important if you want to turn photography into um, a career yeah. is nobody wants to work with hard people to work with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, yeah. It's in, it, like I, I often will hire um, enthusiasm over skill yeah. because skill can be taught. Um, if the enthusiasm isn't there, you know, um, it's, it's a real drag to have someone on set with you that isn't enthusiastic about the shoot, that you just look at them and you know that they want to be somewhere else. That, 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 that affects me when I'm shooting. It's like I want everyone to be all in, 100%, and I think more so for you. Like if you've got someone that's moaning and complaining, like when are we going home, when's the chopper coming to get us out of here, I'm cold. I can't feel my feet. That would be a real drag. Oh, it would be so exhausting. It would be so mentally exhausting. I completely agree with you. I think that's that should be so universal for any for any photographer, like just, yeah. starting out. Yeah, it's just be easy to work with and work hard. Like I'm, a, I that's actually yeah. Hard work is also pretty pretty key for me. Mm. I have an expectation kind of on myself in those situations, but you know. To have a team where everyone pulls their weight yeah. is so key. Um, do, and with the um, like the process that you asked about it, it's you know choosing a location and then choosing the people, and then I look at the weather like as if I would be a meteor- meteorologist. Yeah. I, I given where I live and just that it can really impact safety. I yeah. look at the weather all the time. Um, I look at so many different forecasts, so being prepared. Um, and then the other one I would say is like, it's less for me about the gear, um, and more about where I am and like, I, I'm not a techie tech photographer yeah. at all. Like You're I self-taught, right? I'm self-taught. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like the last piece for me. I want good gear and I take care of it, Yeah. but I don't need all the latest gadgets. I yeah. just want to know that I, I want to be a hundred percent confident that I know how to use it. Yes. And, every piece of it so okay yeah, that's so, kind of, so you're yeah. planning the, lo- the, the the location and um i guess you're um using like obviously weather is important uh finding locate how do you find this spectacular location are you seeing stuff on um through google is, are people telling you um about a certain location how do you know where to go I get asked that a lot by the art directors, actually, in at work. Um, I have this encyclopedia in my brain of all these locations and kind yeah, of what fantastic. they work for. Because I, I really love the world. I love the visuals of yes. the world. I do spend a lot of time on Google Earth now. Yep. I never used to use it as a tool. Um, but because I kind of thought it in some ways it it gave away a bit of the mystery of a place. Um, you know, and you, when you're going out 
in a, to an adventure it's kind of there's something about like exploring yeah but yeah but we... I agree I, I just have to go on another tangent here so okay <laughs> um when you're do you prefer because it's like I can bring it back to I can only bring it back to my experience so I've never been on the top of like I've to, to the rugged places that you've been but I know that when I'm um I go to a new city in the world I actually don't research that city I don't yes. because I yes. want to discover it on my own I want to see it with fresh eyes I don't want to be doing um the cliche shots and sometimes I'll go home and I'll go I I did do one of the cliche shots but I also found all these like there is something for me the adventure is turning the corner and going oh my god <laughs> look at this and I found I want to be the I want to be an explorer and an adventurer now are you able to do that with a crew in these remote locations or does it have to be um a bit more deliberate for you I it's a it's a combination of the two I am 100% with you on that I think if you research it too much before you go you basically know what you're going to see when you get there so and actually I love that's what I love about being in the mountains too you just never know what you're going to get mm. um especially weather wise that's and that's what I love to bring into the photography is just this uncertainty yeah um but there's like now I've started to look at Google Earth because a bit more because we want to kind of connect things that you can't get to by foot. Um, an example would be I did a shoot a couple of years ago where we left um, Vancouver by float plane and I picked a lake on a map and I got a friend of mine who's a float plane pilot just to have a look and I'm like, can you land here? And he's like, yeah, yeah I think I can land there. I'm like, okay, great, because I want to connect this mountain ridge for seven days because I think we can do it all through the ridge line and not go back into the valley and then get picked up on this other lake and he was like oh, okay yeah, I think I I think you can I can land on both those lakes and so I had you know for that reason I would look at Google Earth to make sure I could link up this ridge line and then we camped and hiked for seven like camped climbed hiked for seven days with a, another group of women actually and I just showed it to a guide to be like, am I crazy? And he, and so using Google earth as a tool for that was really important. Um, and it ended up going and we linked it up and we basically left downtown. This is a side note, but we left downtown Vancouver on a float plane. We got <laughs> dropped to a lake. The plane took off. And as you were saying before, like that feeling of when you see the plane go and you're like, <laughs> Oh my goodness, we are in the middle of nowhere and we wow. are not going to see that person for another eight days. <laughs> Wow. There's a little bit of apprehension and then you're like, yeah. okay, well, we got to survive here. Let's go. Um, and so I do use it for things like that, but then for other things where I kind of want, you know, just to unfold how it's going to unfold. I don't look at, I don't like, I Google pictures for access maybe, yeah. but not plotting out the exact, um, the exact like route we're going to take it time and time again. Like I don't do that just to leave that mystery and, unexpected to happen so i know with working with art directors they they absolutely know that they've mapped everything out it's like this is the color board that we're going to use um here's where we want the people because the type's going to go here 
Uh, are they sending you off with a brief like that and then you're going, yeah, that's not going to happen? Or are you trying to get them those shots where it's like, okay, so we need this kind of vertical um, ridge here and uh, we need this many people and, uh, you know, here's the range, go off and shoot it, bring in the models. How does that work? It's tough. Mm. Um, I think there we have, so we kind of have a side where a lot of it's just adventure and it's just documentary style. So I can yep. just go. And then another part where we have to shoot a certain product in a certain environment to sh show a certain thing. Yep. Um, and that's a little more set. Um, we, um, in the second scenario, there's a lot of trust there because I've worked with the people that are the art directors now for many years. So they know they'll show like, um, and it's only in the last two years become a little more formulated. Like I'm working on something right now and they want shadows. And so that's the most specific that it's ever been. Right. But usually it's like, okay, we're kind of thinking like the climber should be on a wall and we want a shadow. And I'm like, okay, I got it. And then there's a just trust there. Yeah. So much trust because they know, uh, I think that I get, you know, they know, the work I've done for years and they know that I have, you know, if we talk it through, um, that I'm a very, uh, like a, like a, if they show me some examples and then I go out to where we're going to shoot it, I can grab what they're looking for, but in the context of where the location I've chosen. Right. Um, so it's not as prescribed as maybe like traditional advertising photography, yep. but it's a bit of a balance for me. Right. Um, and I understand that's a super unique situation as well, but, um, there, you know, like there's so much, you can never plan a shoot with weather to be the perfect shot. Like, because the weather's just going to be what the weather wants to be. Yeah. Um, and in the mountains it can change on a whim. So we yeah. could go up for looking for sun and then in a, it could be hailing within half an hour. So there has, there's a certain amount of latitude that, that we have with that so i know when i'm like you, you plan like a dawn shoot and uh you'll 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 get up you'll go out to the location and then you're waiting for the sun and you're waiting for the sun and it just appears and no matter where i am in the world the joy that that brings me it's just like you know here's this thing that happens every day it never gets old now i imagine for you that 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 feeling must be amplified a thousand times. It's like you know these these beautiful images you have where the just that that morning light or it might even be afternoon light is just like you know um, grating across the the side of the mountain and the the people are just there. What does that feel like when it's like you know we're all waiting? We, you, you've you've spent so long to get to this location. You you're tired. You're cold, and then mother nature turns up and just goes okay it's time for my solo how's this <laughs> like th th there are times when i've wanted to applaud it's been so beautiful <laughs> what does that feel like oh it just that moment just make it they make my heart sing like being yeah. in the alpine is my favorite place to be like above treeline yeah. um and just I can picture it so vividly and it just makes when hearing you um, ask that just makes me smile because yeah. I can I can feel what that's like even sitting at my desk here yeah and there really is not it's unmatched and I think 
that feeling is it's been you know usually those places are kind of hard to get to so they're usually like 2 a.m or 3 a.m start so when my alarm goes off I'm like are you kidding me like what am I why do I do this why you know that you have so many different thoughts to the moment that sun rises yeah. like all the way up when it's cold you're like why why do I choose this as a living why am I a surf photographer surf <laughs> photographers get to wear flip-flops why is it I'm frozen it's so cold and then as soon as that sun comes over and you know that early bird gets the worm like I hear that said a lot in the outdoor world because it's so true like you you never and I was just saying this to an athlete recently like you never regret getting up early for sunrise never never and it there's never only gets one... old there's not like it's not the sunsets are great not like yeah. the sunrise the sunrise I think is like um you feel like you have it all to yourself you feel like you've won the day you, you do totally do. yeah yeah yeah, there's nothing, nothing quite compares to that. And there's only one time that I've ever had to get up out of all these I've been shooting. I've got up for sunrise and it didn't, it wasn't like, there's only one time where it wasn't amazing and it was it's... snowing sideways and it was so cold and we ended up going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but gee, that's, that's not, not a bad strike rate. So yeah. I want to ask you about, so like, obviously um, the art directors have something in mind Um you're going out with that that in the back of your mind, but you you know you're not always going to get it. And I guess they're pretty forgiving. You can come back and say, "Well, hey, there was like an avalanche, and like we couldn't get the shot." <laughs> in terms of, because um, you, you you mentioned a few times hoping to find these people, are you are you going where there are like um, action skiers or sports skiers and hoping to get like to to document that? Are they aware that you're there? How does that work? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. No, usually, actually, a hundred percent of the time, I'm usually I'm with the people. Right. I don't, okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I don't shoot on a whim, or not a whim, but I don't shoot um, just going to find people. Yeah. Like I'll there's so I think you asked earlier too um, how much of is it is it set up? Yes. Like in terms of like the parameters are set up. Like we're gonna go here and yep. we're gonna go ski this traverse, or we're gonna go here and and we're looking to shoot something um I'll give an example so we in a couple of years ago I did a shoot in Greenland and my um brief was okay we want to shoot run hike and climb um it it I can't remember exactly the parameters for the season but I think it was lightweight for example Mm. and like we want to show lightweight performance of these jackets and in that situation I said I pitched back actually in our direction I was like okay what about like the off-road road trip and let's like Arcteryx is a place where you know people go on a road trip and they kind of go on the dirt road but really Arcteryx is the company that's like beyond the end of the road and so when I started kind of ideating on that and this is part of the job I actually really love is like I bridge the gap between creative inception and like delivery right. I'm not just like the photographer that goes out and clicks it yep. clicks the, the, the camera yep. um, and being embedded in a company that's that's a lot easier to do but so I said well what about like what if an off-road road trip was actually on a boat and we happened to go to Greenland and, you know, this is four weeks before we were supposed to yeah. shoot, which is like the impossible scenario to find a boat <laughs> in Greenland four weeks before you're going to shoot. Um, and so I pitched it back and I said, I think we could, you know, do all these these activities. And, and so that's like 
you know, I'm, I'm basically creating, making the bucket and putting the pieces in. And then after that, everything that happens is kind of documentary style. Right. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it sounds like you're fairly proactive in, in, in how you, like you're just not going to a certain spot. There is a bit of reaction to, to what's around you, but you're very much like here, here are the parameters. This is where like we want, we want this bike rider going across this ridge at this particular time of the day. And we're hoping that the light's in this spot. So there is a bit of, um, you know, pre-planning but then there are always those tangents that like oh we didn't plan on that happening but have you looked down there like it's always when you look to the side it's like oh now we need to go over there and shoot does a lot of that happen as well a lot a lot happens or or you have like plan a to e and and a b c gets foiled by the weather and then you're like oh what about we do that actually on that um frozen one we did where it was minus 40 so we were planning to be up there i want to say we're even planning to be up there for two weeks and we basically when we got pulled out i was like well i don't have the amount of shots i need and you know to tell this story like it was a full ux experience so what about we look for another location and we (laughs) then went and camped in the forest and skied and then it poured rain so we had the op- the exact opposite because it's down near the ocean like yeah. it's up near the border of alaska and then we had the exact opposite problem so it was like pouring rain everything was wet even sleeping in the tent you couldn't get anything dry you have so much moisture on the lenses so we went from extreme to extreme but it was okay this is just this is a new plan now we're just gonna have to go with it and you know, I think in any outdoor situation, especially outdoor photography, you kind of have to be ready to just go with change in plan and, you know, and do what you can with what you have. Right. That's actually, whenever I teach photo workshops, that's something we really focus on um, because it's not always going to be how you want it to be in the outdoor world. Yeah. So you've got to be be able to pivot really quickly without panicking because, you know, you've got no choice. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's not like, you know, you, you can't just go, okay, let's go home. You've got to come back with something. So on that, making sure that when you go, like there's a lot of people involved, there's a lot of pre-production, there's a lot of expense and it all comes down on what you get on your camera. It's a lot <laughs> of pressure. How do you prepare to make sure that you're always going to come back with something? Are there... Um, do you get the safety shots first and then and then go, okay, I've got everything in the can. I can now experiment, um, first question. And then second question, what do you do in terms of preparing gear and making sure that like everything's going to work? How many backups are you bringing? How many spare batteries, cards, etc.? So first question, um... I would say that I go out and I, st- I think that the f- I just start shooting. Like you just, I don't, I don't shoot like, you know, brrr the whole time, but right. I definitely, you know, I think in any shoot you got to, once you get the first picture or the third picture out of the way, you're kind of like, okay, I got the groove. I know what I, I want to get in this situation. Um, and so I do try and get, like it's always nice to have something in the can. Yeah. Um, bef- you know, as and especially if you're day one of a seven day shoot, to have something in the can on first day is really it's really good for morale. Yeah. It's really good for you know it's kind of like oh the safety I've got something to yeah. take home. 
Um, there's a certain amount of pressure to come home with something, but I try not to be overwhelmed by that because I think that can paralyze people yeah. or paralyze me. Um, and so I really, you know, I, I'm not looking to come home with 10,000 shots. Like right. I really, um, I found like I do my, I do shot lists for myself. Um, and I'll have a pretty good idea of like, you know, if we're going on a ski shoot, I really want to get a ski action in big mountain scenery. Um, so that's your big wide shot. That's your big, big hero shot, shot, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I really like sense of place is huge for mm. me. So I kind of have a bit of a list of the, yeah, the wide, as you said before, the wide, the medium, the tight, yep. the detail, like a bit of a lifestyle. So like broad buckets. Yes. Um, that I kind of have in my head for the shoot we're going. I do actually like try and pre like I have almost like a vision like once I've chosen a location I'm like okay I really want to go for this on this shot so you are pre-visualizing so yeah okay so you've got an image in mind yeah yeah not and I don't get set on it but I definitely find that helps to to just you know what do I want what is this storytelling what do we want to show for this story um, and then your second question was more about the gear. Can you, yes. can you remind me of the second question? So, so, um, how back at home before you're leaving for these remote, remote locations, how are you preparing the gear? What sort of gear are you taking? Obviously you're schlepping long distances, so you don't want to have to carry a lot of gear, but what is your basic pack? What does that look like? What are the backups? What's your uh, backup protocol in terms of uh, backing up photos at the end of the day? What are you doing to ensure that you bring home the gold in terms of the images? <laughs> I protect my memory cards yeah. like they're gold. Right. So how do you how are you doing yeah. that? So two two kind of most common scenarios. One is where I can back up at night, and one is where I cannot back up for multiple days. Yep. Um, so you know, if I was preparing to go out and shoot, I carry very. I try and make my kit as light as possible because the right. heavier my kit, the slower I am. Yeah. And being with these athletes, like that, puts me at a great disadvantage because I'm usually the one carrying the most gear, and I didn't grow up on skis. Um, so I try and keep a really lightweight, really tight kit. Um, I think knowing your system, actually, I'd say this for any kind of budding photographer or someone that wants to get into it, just just having your systems dialed is so key. Like I can pull my camera out of my pack, change the lens, turn it on, focus within like five seconds because those fleeting moments in action happen so fast. So it's almost that, intu- that, that reaction's intuitive. It's an extension of your hand. Um, yeah. Pretty yeah, much. Absolutely. So, yeah. so just on the gear, uh, the, are you mirrorless now? Uh, I still, I actually still run both. I'm pretty, right. I've moved to Sony. Yeah. Um, but for ski action and run, I'm still on like a Canon 1DX. And is that because um, it's just, uh, focus is faster, quality yeah. is better. Yeah. It's it still speed. is. I, I'm still, it's yeah. not, I'm not there yet with the, the, I love the mirrorless for travel, the lightweight, all of that stuff. But it's like, uh, I tend to find that the uh, people that are raving about the mirrorless more are bloggers that aren't really doing extreme stuff. It'll yeah. get there. It's just not there yet is my feeling. Yeah, I know. I sit on this, just if we were going to gear for a second, if I sit, I sit on this fence, like I've, had Sony and I shoot Sony predominantly. Um, and I love like the optics of the Sony is amazing. And I love so much about it. I love that it's SD cards because they're way more easier to get, especially if I'm in tiny villages or tiny location or like remote locations. Um, but then I have been a Canon 
shooter for almost my entire career and just letting that final piece go it's just and the weatherproofness of it too sony's getting better but like i need exactly it's pro if you're going to be like working in extreme heat extreme cold uh these uh pro cameras the weather seal all of that you need to take that into consideration because it's like you know that that's when you want to invest the big bucks if you're just going taking that shoot the camera out once a week or once a fortnight then go nuts it's fine to get a uh, an entry level camera but that, that i think that's the big difference and you know how good the cam that 1dx is when you're in like minus 40. oh yeah and you need battery life like you need a lot of battery life that's actually the biggest thing i struggle with as a as a um as an outdoor photographer is just having is battery life like especially when i have to carry all my own stuff for eight days so how many batteries are you carrying on 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 one of these treks to 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 last Uh, you a day to get back in charge yeah, I would say like on a on a um, on a like a single day shoot, I probably carry three or four. Yeah. Depending on the temp, how cold it's going to be. How, and how is water. the sorry? How is the battery life compromised in very cold conditions? So like let's say in optimum com- conditions, you'll get you know so many shots. How how is that compromised when it's uh, extreme cold? What does that do to the battery? Uh, it runs out very quickly. Right. Um, there, I would say if I had to put into a percentage, I'd say it's almost 50% wow. less. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have to carry double the yep. amount that I would normally use yep. if it was, you know, in the 20s. Um, so I, the other thing I've started doing actually for these longer day shoots is taking a solar kit. Like I carry the weight of a solar kit because then we can charge, I can charge like the emergency device and, um, if we have a sat phone. So I've actually started carrying like a small lightweight goal zero. What are they kit. worth? Uh, they're, so the, the new battery, like we have a couple, it just, again, it depends if we're flying in versus carrying it on our backs, but the, there's a new goal zero battery in that. I think it was around 300 us, 400 us. And, and it has, um, a plug where I can plug my regular battery charger in as well as USB ports. And that thing has been amazing. I just, I did wow. the grand Canyon, the grand Canyon last October. Yep. And, um, so that was 21 days on the river and i took five batteries um just in case we didn't get sun yeah like down deep in the canyon and it lasted me like having that solar kit was just meant i could charge every couple of days which was amazing and i actually took my computer for downloading so the issue with solar kits is like they're great when there's sun but they don't actually hold their charge is that right that's the downfall so far they haven't quite worked that out is that correct or they uh... they hold their charge you just can't refill the power bank yes so i get like um say one or two laptop charges out of it and maybe one or two batteries but um say for example if we're in a tent with snow and it's overcast they they just will not recharge that's Um, fantastic so when you're in a remote location camping i can see so i'm I'm getting one i'm getting (laughs) you've just convinced me because i've been thinking about like this would be really handy for a a lot of like or you're in um often if you're in um you know remote villages uh there is issues with power the power goes out or there isn't any and then suddenly you find yourself without you know the battery to be able to recharge or just um even for photographers that are doing events when you're doing sporting events and you're out in the field you just can't get back to base to recharge your batteries it would come in so handy i think it's worth the investment 
Oh, I 100% agree. I think having it in your car, if you're even if you're a wedding photographer, yes, or just as yeah, a backup. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I use them a lot. Like and, and that's just cuz the battery packs have become so good yep. now and quite efficient. Like you're not going to get 10 different charges for your computer out of it, but they're really for the size and the weight, it's a it's a really great tool. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the that's like one of the What do they weigh? Do do, do we say? Ooh, I, I should be really good on weight because I literally weigh all of my gear, yeah, but I'm have not to. sure about that one. You can't one. get on the little planes otherwise, yeah. or the shoppers. They, they really make you weigh everything. <laughs> no, I never used to be a weight weenie, but I have to say, as my back gets more and more <laughs> damaged by carrying my pack all the time, yeah. I started weighing things. <laughs> so, so just going back, um, maybe you can come back to me with the uh, the weight of that and a link to the yeah. product as well because I'm, yeah, I'm really sure. keen um, yeah, to check sure. it out. But uh, in terms of like what is your um, minimal gear that you will take, are you taking backup bodies, backup lenses? What does that look like? So what's the, the, the essentials on, say, one of these super remote 10-day hikes when you know you're going to be you know, going long distances? What's the minimum you're going to take? So my, my everyday kit um, is one body. Um, so right now it's a Sony a7R4, um, a 70 to 200 lens. Like I don't leave home without a 70 to 200 yeah. lens. It's like my daily driver. Um, it's 24 to 70, yeah. um, like a 2.8. And yeah. I've actually started I, – oh, I also carry um, a doubler. Because yeah, so the seventy to two hundred, like it comes a four hundred. The exactly yep, like yep. a two times. Yep. Um, and the Sony one is incredible. Like right. we've, we've turned those into billboards, like a mountain R- shot. Really? Actually, I did a skier shot. I've never shot action through it, and I was a bit nervous. But we, I got dropped on a ri- different ridge to where the skier was dropped, and I just couldn't get the r- close enough. So I used it, and we ended up making that a billboard. So. I really stand behind the quality that, of those doublers. And that, the difference is, so if you were to carry like a 400 millimeter lens as opposed to having a 200 with the, the converter, like the yeah. weight difference is m- massive, isn't it? Because a 400 is a, a big mother of a lens compared to the 200 with a teleconverter. It's the difference between like, yeah, lunch and water for me or an ex- or the lens. There you go. Yeah. So that's, but, but, but even for people who are just um, wanting to, uh, you know, do a model shoot on the, on, on, at the end of an hour hike, you know, or, or as a walk around camera for travel, it's hard to get stuff on when we're ever allowed to travel again. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to get as much stuff on the plane. Um, as we used to so that that that's a great tip so you say the sony one's good what in terms of a uh, loss of stop is it does it take a 2.8 to a f5.6 minimum what what's the yeah, is it, it does. Two, yeah it does that's the it downfall but but up in the snow there's plenty of light right you got uh, light everywhere is, yeah it, it, there is a lot of white but it's you know in overcast that can be a bit of a problem but yep. the sony's pretty good on the iso so right. i just have to compromise it's all a compromise yeah um, but uh, it's also more, much more affordable as a tool than, you know, these the big the massive lens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I've actually started carrying a fixed lens because I really love, like when we're doing kind of the close up stuff, I yep. really am shooting on a, I have a so fixed a prime. 35. So, so what, 35? A 35 and Perfect. I have a 50, which yep. I love. Right. Um, and the 50, the Sony 50 is just, it's so small. And yep. I, if I, I just really love the quality of it. So I, I'll carry the extra, you know, 
even with the 70 to 200, people are always like, oh, that's like a big lens. I'm like, you know what? It's just worth it because if I get out there and I don't have it, I'll just be so, I would just be frustrated. So, I, you know, there's some kind of weight um, compromises that I make. So, when so that's kind of my everyday kit. Fantastic. So, and, and one camera, you, you like, so if the camera cacks itself, as in that's Aussie slang for a dies. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew you'd understand that. I do understand. I told you I'd have you speaking back to Australian. <laughs> um, what happens? Uh, so on a day shoot, it just becomes a weight yeah. um, issue. On a multi-day shoot, I would have one somewhere. So yeah. if I'm on a traverse, I would definitely take a second body. Yeah. Um, if we're staying in a hut, I would have one at the hut. Um, okay, so you're not bringing both cameras out. You're not having like long lens and, and fixed lens on the other camera. You're just taking one out on these shoes yeah, for weight. Yeah. Okay. So it's purely for weight. It's that right. I, and I, and when I would rather, this is kind of how I justify it. I would rather be there and have the moment and like, it's yes, if the camera's not working, that's different, but I'd rather be like, be there with the person and be able to capture the moment than not be there and like trailing behind somewhere with extra gear. Does that it, make sense? Yeah, I do. I get it. There's something really liberal. I, I, I did a trip um, uh, in Spain recently where I just forced myself just to have uh, a little Fuji with the fixed 35 mil mm. lens. And that was it. That's all I had. And I'm just <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, not going to have all the gear and it was so liberating and it just I just mm. forced myself to like I'm just going to use this lens and I spent a week just doing that and it was it was really a beautiful experience because it teaches you just to you become one with that camera and you understand what it can and can't do and you're you know framing and and thinking about every shot because you don't have a choice you're not you're not there the 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 overwhelm or the fatigue of all the gear um, doesn't set in. It's it's quite liberating. So I, I, I get that. That that that's really cool. I think that's so true. Like to be to just be almost it, it makes you more creative too. Exactly. When you're not using your tools for the creativity, you're relying on your own innate creativity. Yep. Yeah, I, and, I I like that. And 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 it's like you know I force myself because I do love lighting my um my my portraits, but I force myself just to use natural light. Just go back to basics and just and it really changes how you see. You really um, hone in on where the light is. How did you learn as a self-taught photographer? How did you learn to see light? Do you remember that moment when you first realised it's like wow, there's a difference here. I see, I'm starting to see the light. <laughs> I'm starting to see the light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big I moment, like you know. That. I think it's the it most is. important moment in a photographer's yeah. life, that moment when they realise there is such there's a huge difference in the quality of light. I, I, I feel I have, like, very clear memories of when I fell in love with light, when I realised I'm like, oh, I'm in love with light. And I I, I just, uh, it, I think because I've, I don't have, like, I would love to use, um, like, remote flashes and stuff sometimes if I just don't have that um, opportunity to do that for where we go. But I, I really, I just love natural light so much. And what I love about nature is that it gives you light that you never even can plan for, right. ever. Yep. Like, just a moment. And I just did this shoot this summer, and 
we were sitting on the ridge and it was hiking and we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden this beam of light came through and like right where we were looking, but then right behind it, it was this massive mountain was still in the shade. And so you got this depth that even if I had of like planned that moment, you know, that had that vision of that shot for weeks, I would still never have been able to plan that moment. Yeah. And um, sorry, I know I go on these tangents when I get really excited. Well, me too. (laughs) answer (laughs) Answer your question more directly is I do remember it was what I when I first fell in love with light or realized how important or key light was um, and good light for photography um, was also at the same time when I realized, um, and you know, every when people get into photography, you hear you got to go out at sunset and sunrise. And, and that is, that's true. Um, but what I realized was you can actually set up a lot of the beauty by just being there at the right time of day. Mm. Um, and the right time of year for, for us, you know, here in like, especially in North America where we use, we lose, we have such short days, um, you know, as we move into November, like you can, the angle of light is also really, I love that. I love shooting at the end of the summer when the angle of light totally changes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you get completely, I get a completely different light in September than I do in August or July. Yeah. So I love that scale through the year that you have the variety of light. I do like no, I do like I do love the light when the the sun is lower in the sky. There's something about that, um, you know. It just you just get that the, the beautiful shadows and and everything about that. So a couple more questions. I want to ask you. Um, firstly, has there been a moment where the you've been so overwhelmed by what you've seen that you just thought that the camera isn't going to capture that, and I just I'm just going to watch it and absorb it and take it in and enjoy it, but I'm not going to photograph it. Yeah, that that usually comes for me in actually in the Himalaya. I have mm. that came for me in the Himalaya where I feel that as as I become older too, I appreciate those moments of just being there as much as I do capturing them. Yeah. Um, but I almost don't do that unless I know I've got a lot of. <laughs> a lot of the moment already shot <laughs> because you're like oh I just I'm gonna forget it I actually think that's why I'm a photographer because I have a really bad memory and I think I just have to capture everything so I know so I document it so I can look at it in years to come um but being in the Himalayas like it, it just took my breath yeah. so many moments just took my breath away it's like in seeing those mountains and the grandeur of them and it was more of a like a rewarding experience often just sitting there and watching them yes. rather than shooting them yeah yeah and feeling that presence like that sounds a bit juju but um, no no I, I get it yeah. and you, you just feel like it's like we're not here alone there's more you know that there is a greater force at work yeah. here you know it's it's a, it, it is it's a spiritual moment um but you, you couldn't go back and say to the art directors, oh, my God, it was so beautiful <laughs> that I didn't photograph it. But I want to tell you all about it now. You should have seen it. You had to be there. No, that's why we pay you, Angela, to bring it back. Yeah, yeah, oh, but it I was just amazing. It. I was one with nature. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, you know what's funny on that, Gina? Actually, we, we joke sometimes if we're rushing and we miss a shot, we're like, well, no one will ever know that happened. <laughs> 
<laughs> or if we're, you know, finished for that. Actually, on the on the light part and kind of coming back a bit to that moment of sunrise, in the, there's nothing quite like having a beer at the end of the day, watching that sun finally slip behind the mountains either. Yeah. Knowing and, that you've uh, got the shot in the can. <laughs> yeah, and kind of forcing myself to put down the camera yeah. just to in just in kind of like uh forcing myself to put down the camera for to make sure that as hum, like we're humans first and the work is important but living in the present moment and experience like what's really big for me in life in general but also with photography is just the experiences exactly and make sure you mark them and remember them as much as you shoot them and I find that with Instagram um you know that's that has kind of changed a bit. I, I see photographers go to certain places just to get that Instagram shot. And I guess maybe I'm a bit old school in it thinking this, but I, it's, it's more important that you go there and be there yes. and, you know, absorb those experiences and the people you're with and like, just, yeah, like a little more connected to the moment than just going there. Oh, I got that shot. You know, we have a lot of just famous t- places. Tick off the tick off the bucket exactly. list of shots. The the exactly. you know like the cookie cutter collection of shots. But yeah. it's like you know, and this is what I love about your photography, Angela. Is is like you know, I can feel your connection to the land when you're taking the photo, and I feel like you're there. But you're also um, not just taking the photo to get the the social media reaction but you were actually there in awe of the moment and um you know you're there you're connected it's authentic so final question um has there been a moment for you where you've um been to a place and it's just been so overwhelmingly beautiful and you've seen it happen you've also photographed it that you've just said that's it if I'd never take another photo again I could die now because I've had one I'll to explain my experience I was in Iceland and mm-hmm. um watching the northern lights and it's mm. like there was a good two hours where I just stood in the freezing cold with my mouth open and I wasn't shooting I was just like this and I did shoot it but this is like I, I, I almost felt like the photos wouldn't do it justice, but I did shoot it and it was beautiful, but it was just so awe-inspiring that I thought if I never take another photo again and if I die in this moment, I'm completely happy. Have you have you had that experience? Oh, oh I'm nodding. You can't see me nod. Yes, uh-huh. oh, so much so. I actually said those exact words to my mum after going to Greenland, and I, and I don't think you need to go to the ends of the earth no. to have those experiences. Um, but we sailed, we ended up, I couldn't find a boat in Greenland. So I ended up finding a boat in Iceland and convinced my crew to sail across to Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, side note, I had one Italian climber who'd never been on a boat before and he was so sick the whole time. Um, but that moment of sailing up to the coast of Greenland, cause I've never arrived to a country by boat like that before and there was I we were all just couldn't say anything like it was just the most incredible experience and I feel so fortunate to have been to a lot of places and I remember saying to my mom you know not that mom ever wants to hear this but like if I died tomorrow I'd be so happy yeah um and I don't need to go anywhere else and see any anything else because to see that level of like that coast the east coast line the east coastline of Greenland is so rugged and just so beautiful and so like untouched 
that it just left me completely speechless. Fantastic. I think that's a good note to uh, finish on there, Angela. It's like we're all like I know I'm personally here in Australia, like we're starved of travel at the moment. I miss it so much. And so just chatting with you today was like I felt like I've been on a holiday. And and that's I think the lovely thing about, you know, being uh, a photographer and traveling is we we collect these beautiful memories. And I know that, that like I've looked back on a lot of trips lately and that's um, given me great comfort and, you know, I'm just hanging to get out there again. So I, I like your work is beautiful. I wish you um, continued success and like we can, um, you know, encourage all the listeners to go and check out the website, AngelaPercival.com and uh, your Instagram is at AngelaPercival and Facebook um angela percival just i'll put all the links in the show notes and i'll uh continue to uh follow your journey and uh yeah looking looking forward to seeing what you do next so thanks again thank thanks for so much for having me such an inspiring conversation all right so angela percival and if you haven't had a chance guys check out angela's website uh or her instagram um, to see some of her amazing photography, AngelaPercival.com. And you can see that the places that she shoots in, they're just so remote, they're so rugged. Rugged doesn't even come close no. to, uh, as a description. Yeah, they're, 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 um, they're stark, <laughs> Yes, some of them, um, and they're not probably places I would go by choice myself. Yeah, Val, like that's not your... Like you're 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 for comfort, aren't you? Like you know, because yes. I can remember uh, taking you to Kakadu where we had a photo shoot and we had to rough it a little bit. And you only took the gig because you thought we'd be going staying in a five star resort, but it wasn't. It was like camp beds, digging a hole mm-hmm. for the bathroom, and mm-hmm. you the entire time just mm-hmm. were lying there plotting the escape. I actually loved it. I loved it so much because it was like, you know, this was one of the remotest parts of Kakadu. We had a guide. I can so still Kakadu remember. So Kakadu is Kakadu National Park. It's where um, it's really in the middle of Outback Australia. But I can still remember, Val, that like, you know, we were sitting around uh, with the guide and he just said, look up. And I never never will ever forget that moment when I looked up because there was no light pollution. We were so far away from everything. Mm. And the sight of those stars, I've never seen anything like it since. There was gazillion, gazillion stars. I've never seen. It was so, so beautiful and everywhere we went and yet the whole time you my friend, were miserable, (laughs) miserable, you know. So, uh, Angela, if you're listening, don't hire Val as an assistant. She would just really weigh you down. You'd throw her off the cliff at some point just to stop her from complaining. (laughs) I will add, though, that we did end up with very good photos and a beautiful spread, thanks to you, And, and thanks to me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, like you, you put together some good words and uh, got it all happening. But like, you know, we know that you're not the, um, you're not I an outdoorsy kind of girl. I did learn a really interesting thing, which I have taken, I've told people all these years later. And um, 
some people or other people might find it interesting, but a natural uh, concoction, instead of using Aerogard or RID or any of those insect repellent type products, um, you may remember that a natural concoction was Dettol and baby oil. Yeah. And that would um, fend off all of the 1,000 million insects that are in Outback Australia. Yes. Um so and and it and it smells kind of nice too, and it's yep. you know it's it's probably a bit better for you than all of the chemicals. But that was um, that was something I learned from that trip. And we um, were really up close and personal with lots of uh, wild uh, critters too. There was uh, oh crocodiles, massive crocodiles. We were very, oh very close to those in those tinnies. So, um, and insects yeah. everywhere. And there was a lot of insects, yes. And it's so true, it all going. of you people from other parts of the world, especially, you know, in America and listeners, everything here does try and kill you. <laughs> yeah, but we're so used to it that we're a bit blasé about it here but it is like honestly uh those remote locations you know are so so beautiful uh Mm. i think you know and uh good on you angela for getting out there and shooting such beautiful work it's probably like that job that you have that's a dream Mm. job so i hope you guys enjoyed that uh in that interview all right so what are you doing in the coming week gina all right, right now, so I've been um, – I told you a couple of episodes ago that I got myself a, uh, a remote trigger, and it's the, the brand is Myops, so it's M-I-O-P-S. So I'm going to go play with my trigger, Val, again, because I've got <laughs> – because I do like to do that. Uh, and so I've been playing with it all week, actually, and um, – and uh, so, and I have to say that uh, I've had some difficulty with it. So I did contact the uh, the guys at MyUp, and they've been like really super responsive. Like they email me straight back, and they're like, you know, going, "Well, have you done this? Have you done that?" So I've got the sound to work, so I can now uh, get my camera to trigger. Get your mind out of the gutter, Val. I'm just my, wondering get... if it's battery operated or Bluetooth or. Uh, uh, can you get? Bluetooth triggers that are USB. So um, the sound-operated one, so it'll trigger my shutter from sound so that if I was to, say, fill a balloon with water and then throw, say, a dart at it, the moment the balloon explodes, at the moment of impact, the shutter will go off. So I've got that working. Or good like at the start of a race, start a gun. Yes, the trigger goes off. Yes. So it's so and you can also um uh delay the uh the shutter going off so it'll hear the sound and then you mm. can in milliseconds say, mm. All right, it's not at the point of impact that I want the shutter to go off. I want it to go off two or three milliseconds later so that yes, you can. Yes, depending get on the, whether the Usain Bolt impact. or me is racing. Yeah, so Usain Bolt goes and then <laughs> seven minutes later, <laughs> Valerie gets up out of the – because she's stuck in the thing. You know, I don't, don't understand how these th- – running, oh, I've done a hammy, you know. Um, so so that's fantastic. So I've got that working. That's working beautifully. Uh, I'm just having Great. some issues with the laser part of it. So I've got it to work and then it's 
like just before we went to air, I, I, it stopped working. So, but I'll, I'll figure it out and then I can um, do those running shots, um, mm. you know, or you play ac- action shots of you. Like I've already worked <laughs> out the whole photo shoot with you and the cello, you know. I sent you, I sent you my mood board for that. I think you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> don't think it's really realistic it's gonna be fantastic so you're gonna be on the side of a cliff it's gonna have those moody dark broody clouds okay so i'll shoot it really dark and moody. i'm going to have like um uh wind machine so the hair's blowing and you're going to have to wear something really like silky and drapey so that the clothes are all blowing aside you know yes. as well and uh and then I'll capture what so I'm going to do like what what was that um was that uh violin player and she used to do like rock stuff and it was really Vanessa like, May that's it you're going to be the Vanessa <laughs> May of cello playing that's going to be you that's like you're just going to be and then like it wouldn't surprise me that like you know we're chatting oh, yeah. in six months time and it's like what have you been doing that yeah I just uh put the uh finish the the final track on the album I did a <laughs> collab with let me um Andre Renew. I'm trying to think of a, like another uh, classical musician and um, Andre, Andre Bocelli. Bocelli. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Um, you know, so he'll be singing and I'm doing the, um, you know, I'm the lead cellist for that. Yeah, you know. right. And I also, and Lynn Manuel. Miranda. The, that's it. He um, he and I are collaborating on uh, Hamilton 2. <laughs> Yes, the cello. This is sequel. The history of the cello. It'll be amazing. Okay. All right, great. <laughs> I'll let you know how I go after my first lesson. Yeah, so week. I'm going to go and just uh, keep playing with my trigger valve. Okay, you have fun. Let us know how you go with your trigger. Thanks. And I will. Um, where do we find you online in the meantime? You can find me at Gina Militia. Dot com that's g-i-n-a-m-i-l-i-c-i-a i'm at gina militia on all social media and if you want to take your photography to the next level then do check out the gold community you can find it by going to GinaMilitia.com and click on join the community what about you val You'll Yo-yo. find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com. 